Friday afternoon, a bunch of us went to the Buffalo Bills open practice down at the stadium. It was hot and sticky and crowded. We were there with about 36,000 of our closest friends watching our heroes in person. It was really a love fest. It didn't matter what they did, everybody cheered. It didn't matter if they, if they took two steps in your direction, that whole section of the audience stood and applauded. Uh, some were fortunate enough to get uh, a picture with their heroes and or maybe get a fist bump and sometimes they threw some inflated uh, soft footballs into the stands and you know even adults who got one would go oh yeah oh yeah I got one uh, it was just a lot of fun the reaction of uh, people is just priceless to me I mean you know there are people just like you and me but because they wear that jersey and have that number it's like very special uh, kids especially when they get to be around one of their heroes like that turn and quickly show their parents whatever it was that they got or you know that they they got a got to touch them with a fist bump uh, I don't know for kids especially I was thinking of this the other night in their young lives uh, the Buffalo Bills are the most famous people they've ever been around and it is a big deal for them but all of us are like that we like to tell the story of our encounters with famous people. Remember that time? Well, one time I, you know, uh, like I had good seats at the Garth Brooks concert, somebody told me. And man, I was right down front and I, and I got really good pictures. And, you know, we just like to tell that story. A time that I was near a celebrity, whoever it was. For some reason, we feel good about ourselves when we are around somebody that's famous. And we want everybody to know about our good fortune. If I were James and I was writing a letter to encourage Christians who were facing big trouble, I might have let slip that my brother was actually Jesus. I would have probably let that slip out somehow. I might have told a story that nobody knew about Jesus when he was growing up. I probably would have said something like that. Did you know? I probably, the only one that knows this. Did you know that when Jesus was, you know, 10, and he'd start telling that story. If social media was around, you'd see a lot of pictures of me and my famous brother Jesus. I'd want you to know that. I just want people to know this is, yeah, he's important, but I'm kind of important because I'm his brother. There are three prominent guys named James in the New Testament. Two of them are prominent because they were one of the, or two of the 12 disciples of Jesus. They're mentioned in those lists. But this James, who wrote the book of James at the back of your New Testament, opens up his letter by saying, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, out with the goods. There's more there, right? He gives no clue about his identity. Well, yet in his mind, he gives you all the identity that really is important and all that you really need to know. The brothers of Jesus are mentioned a couple times in the Gospels, Matthew and Mark. I'll just read one of them for you. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, the the enemies of Jesus were saying, isn't this the carpenter? 
Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Well, and they took offense at him. Well, that's an important verse because it tells you that Jesus had siblings. He had four brothers and at least two sisters, right? Came from a big family. We read in John chapter 7, verse 5, that the brothers of Jesus did not believe in him. There was definitely tension in the house. But all that changed when Jesus rose from the dead because in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus appeared to James. Which James? We take it to mean it was James, his brother. Paul identifies James in the book of Galatians and calls him the Lord's brother. In Acts 15, we learn that he is one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So yeah, if James were writing a letter, I would have, if I were James and I was writing a letter, I would have probably dropped the name of my brother. But not this guy. He just says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not seeking any attention for himself which is amazing in this day of social media and so refreshing. According to one tradition, James was called Old Camel Knees. How do you get a name like that? Well, they say that he had thick calluses that were built up on his knees from kneeling in prayer so much. A second tradition tells of his death. His enemies beat him with clubs and he died saying the same words that his brother said upon his death. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Many scholars that I read from the books in our church library say that uh, James was probably the first letter written in the New Testament. He's one, one of the early ones at least. Uh, he wanted to get the word out to people who were suffering. They were hurting. It was hard. He wanted to encourage them. And so it has a strong Jewish flavor as you might imagine because that was his background. He doesn't waste any words. He just is quick. He hammers away at selfishness and promotes humility. Uh, Dr. Virgil Warren says this letter is a lot like the Sermon on the Mount, like his brother's Sermon on the Mount. It's in structure and style and, and content. Warren Wearsby says in his commentary, there are 50 imperatives in this book. He did not suggest anything to you. He commanded, do this. Be quiet and do this. Stop talking and do this. 50 times. So the book of James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's choppy like that. It just gives one piece of advice after another. It's just really in interesting, though, that in the book, he only mentions the name of Jesus two times. His brother, he only mentions it two times, and he doesn't even speak of the Holy Spirit like some of the other letters do prominently. Greg Laurie, in his notes on the New Testament, Living New Testament says, can you imagine how hard it would be for, uh, to not bring up the name of Jesus in just about every conversation? Well, as a brother of Jesus, I think, and <laughs> off you go. As you read, you catch the spirit of humility and service. He's, he's the guy who said, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. You know your place. You're a servant of the Lord Jesus. That's all you need to know about me. Okay, so have you been in a conversation with somebody, probably uh, a partner of yours, who changes the subject frequently? You're talking about one subject, and then it goes to another subject, and slow guys like me and my slow mind are still on the last subject. Wait, weren't we talking about that? And then you switch. What are we talking about now? And 
Deb and I were with the walkers one time and Carolyn had this ability to change subjects very quickly from one thing to the next and Jim and I are looking at each other saying, is she on what are, was that two, what are we? And so she came up with this solution. She says, listen, when I'm gonna change the subject from now on, I'm just gonna let you know by saying switch. Switch, I'm changing the subject and it's this fair warning to everybody here the subject is now changed. No longer that, now we're on to this subject. You got it? Okay. And so when someone says switch, that's just a real helpful thing for a slow mind like mine. And that's how James writes. He switches, only he doesn't say switch. He expects you just to follow him and get with it. Uh, Dave Roper wrote these words. He says, James is, a, is hard to read, not because it's hard to understand. It's, I understand it too well. It is full of what the early disciples call hard sayings, precepts that are just hard to hear. James steps all over my toes. I can't read the book without flinching because he's in your face. During the month of August uh, through uh, Labor Day in September, we're just gonna take one chapter of James and just try to deal with that for each Sunday. I just wanna be like James now, just jump right in. This is what he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. That's it. Are you ready? We're jumping in now. There's, there's no, nothing else to be said about introductions or how are you doing or anything like that. Just, here we go. And you've heard this. And it's something you don't want to hear again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The Bible is timely, and relevant, even though it was written so long ago. Has anybody had trouble in this room lately? Today, this morning? Yeah, James knows that this, or the Lord knows that this subject is relevant and timely through the generations. If you look around your neighborhood or your church, you certainly know that we face trials of many kinds. It just means trouble. I talked to a friend of mine who lives out of state this week uh, he's been an encouragement to me for a long, long time. I asked how he was doing. He says, well, this was a tough week for us. I said, okay, tell me about it. He said, well, uh, he said, my daughter's rent was raised by $700 a month. I said, what? They can do that? He says, yeah, they gave her a month's notice and said $700 next month. I, really? In Florida, this is taking place. He said, so we had to quickly, in the last uh, couple weeks, move her to a studio apartment, which we did most of the work this week. But since her belongings would not fit into her studio apartment, we had to move stuff out of my garage so we could move her priority stuff into the garage. In addition, his daughter was being harassed by someone at work, uh, being followed. The police advised him to get a lawyer and go to court and get an order of protection from this person. They spent a lot of time and money doing that this week. They were driving home from court having succeeded in getting an order of protection. And on his way home from court, 
He was T-boned by a teenage driver. Have a nice week. Some of you would say, okay, that's small. That's no big deal. Let me tell you about what's been going on with me. Consider it pure, pure joy when you fall into trouble. What are you talking about? So there was a man who walked into a bar and he says, I am here to drink my troubles away. The bartender says, well, you've come to the right place. What will it be? And the man replies, I would like a gallon of water. Really? A gallon of water? What's going on? He says, well, I have kidney stones. <laughs> man, someone sent me this picture this week. This is the therapy dog after I finished telling my problems. You have a therapy dog like that. It looks just about right, doesn't it? Like, my goodness. Yeah, he's got a bushel basket full of issues. Well, the point is that trouble is inevitable, isn't it? If you've lived just a few years, you know that. James doesn't say if you face trials, but whenever you face trials. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Peter said, don't be surprised when painful trials, uh, when the, at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you. It, just know it's going to happen. Expect it. Barnabas and Paul said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul told Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You get the idea. In the room today, we can make quite a list of the combined trials that we are facing currently, or maybe just in the last year. Uh, health and cars and jobs and families and money and moving and death. And no one's exempt from any of that. Someone wrote, and I, I can't track this down, but someone wrote and shared this statement with me. We are all in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm. Some have yachts and some have canoes. Some are drowning. Treat everyone as if they have a broken heart, because they probably do. I don't know who said that. I would love to give credit to somebody, but that's absolutely right. And if your life is trouble-free right now, enjoy it. Uh, your turn is coming. You know that. Uh, one guy said, the person who has all his troubles behind him is probably the school bus driver, right? That's the only person. That's the only person. And so James understands. Because our natural reaction to trouble is like, what? Why is this happening to me? It's kind of a surprising question. Like, I can't believe that I got a flat tire. That's not supposed to happen. Why is God allowing this to happen to me is frequently asked. Am I being singled out because I did something wrong? And we try to trace that back to some action. But no, James explains that trouble is the very sign that God is at work in you. His purpose in the pain is that <laughs> you're not going to like this. His purpose in the pain is that you develop perseverance so that you become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Yikes. So let's play suppose... Suppose you did all the hard work and now you have a beautiful pie ready to put into the oven. You set the timer, you insert the pie, and you go about your way. About 20 minutes go by and you hear voices coming from your kitchen. 
Actually, it's very weird because the voices seem to be coming from your oven. You open the door and you can't believe your ears. The pie is talking. Yeah, I know it's weird, but the pie is actually complaining. The pie says, it is too hot in here. Why are you doing this to me? Take me out of here right now. And strangely, for the first time in your life, you find yourself kneeling down, putting a knee on the floor, and talking to the pie. You say, well, yeah, I, I, this is really weird, but I can't take you out right now because you are not finished. Trust me, I'm making something really good out of you, but right now you're only half done. Hang in there. I know it's hot, but trust me. I know. Weird story. That's the best I could come up with for what God's trying to do with us when we face trouble. Most of us want to jump out when we're half done, and it's a process. It takes a while. God is with you in the trouble. He wants you to be mature and complete, not lacking anything, but it hurts. Probably you have noticed the amazing qualities in people who have been through deep trouble. A lot of times it's senior citizens. Sometimes it's some uh, young person who's experienced trauma. Maybe it's a military veteran or someone who's gone through some medical issue. Uh, it could be anybody like that, but man, they are a source of encouragement and counsel. There's a depth earned through the school of hard knocks. They're not full of complaints. They seem to have this insight and this humor and this wisdom, and it's just good to be in their presence. Just tell me about it. Yeah. Before the big surgery I had in the spring, uh, I was given a list of names of people to call who had experienced the same surgery I was facing. Some were actually in their 30s. And some were my age and some were much older, if that's possible. And it's like these people had a PhD in the subject of pain and loss. And they rebounded from it. And most of them were active with their life again. There were some adjustments. I asked him, what was the hardest thing about this for you? I asked the same question to 12 people. What was the hardest thing about this for you? They had different answers. But their advice to me and their example to me was golden. Every one of them said, hey, on the other side of this, if you have any trouble, keep my number and call me. It's like, I got this group that can coach and mentor me through it. And all of them are just so generous with their time. James says we should count it pure joy when we face trouble because God is working on us. That means he cares about us and he wants us better. David Roper again says, we have been placed in a particular set of circumstances that will give us the best opportunity to acquire those virtues in which we are most deficient. Yeah. 
Well, I'm reading a book right now about the settling of the West. I seem to keep going back to that subject, and you keep hearing about what I read, right? Uh, President James Polk uh, called for volunteers to fight against Mexico and expand the land of the USA, 1845 or so. Most of the volunteers uh, that made up the Army of the West were from Missouri. They met at the furthest edge of our country at that time, settled country and civilization. That was Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And the Army of the West was led by as, uh, General Stephen Ker Kearney. They left in spring of 1846, bound for California, using the Santa Fe Trail, through New Mexico, Arizona, and onward. They would not see a house or a settlement for 800 miles. No trains, no roads, no telegraph poles, nothing. Just a sea of grass, mile after mile. First to New Mexico, then finally, if you can imagine, marching through the Sonoran Desert onto San Diego. And they ran into all kind of trouble. Uh, Mexican soldiers, Native Americans, Californians, all who were in a very bad mood. They were confronted with harsh terrain, overwhelming heat, and predators all the time. It remains the longest march by any American military unit in history. They started out green and enthusiastic. They finished wounded and weathered, most of them without shoes. But their experience formed in them this maturity, this brotherhood, and when they faced an enemy, they were lethal. They didn't back down from anybody or anything. Robert Hamilton wrote this poem. I walked a mile with pleasure and she chatted all the way. She left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and never a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Yeah, James knows the hard truth. It hurts. It's good for you. But we ask, why is this happening to me? So we get to verse 5, and the question is, when, when you don't know why it's happening to you, he writes, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God. Help me understand this. Wisdom is the ability to live a godly life in the middle of trouble. Lots of times when bad things happen, people turn on God and they say, haven't you seen everything I've done for you? Why is this happening? Or sometimes they just get negative about life. You've seen it, maybe you've lived it. I feel robbed. I thought I would live longer. I want my health back. I want my mobility back. I want my freedom back. I want my job back. The last thing you want to hear is, you know what, this is really going to work out in your favor. It's going to be good for you. But God, the master pie baker, has something deeper in mind. According to verse 4, he would like you to grow in endurance so that you will be mature and complete. And that doesn't happen when you sit down and read a book. If you can joyfully endure trouble, your spiritual roots will go deeper. And that eventually causes a better quality of fruit in your life that extends to others. So when you don't understand, you just say, God, help me understand.
Trust the Lord. He hasn't forgotten you. He is at work doing things you can't see. Uh, I stole this. I don't know who said this. Probably somebody does here. Uh, trouble can make you bitter or make you better. Have you heard that, right? It can make you bitter or make you better. And it's really up to us and our attitude that we choose to take. So I asked the Lord for a Christ-like attitude when I faced surgery. Uh, they told me it would be a long comeback. They told me not to plan on lifting anything. They told me just to, to cool it, stay home. I'm going, what? Uh, so I, I prayed this prayer, and I would ask you to pray it too. I, I learned it from somebody else. Just, Lord, wherever I am, help me to brighten the corner where I am. Brighten the corner where I am, wherever that happens to be. Somebody always needs a word of encouragement. Uh, if you're in a hospital room, somebody's coming in and out all the time. Help me to brighten their corner, their day. But I must admit, when I woke up from the surgery, I felt like a train had run over me. And uh, I wondered if I was ever going to be able to get up again. But it happens over time, doesn't it? It's the, it's the pie in the oven picture. It takes time. You can do it. So I need to invite the worship team up right now. And I just want to try to close with a couple of ideas for you to take away here. If we persevere under trial, verse 12 is so important in your, in your Bible. I hope that you'll highlight that. It says, if we persevere under trial, we'll receive the crown of life. Well, we have no better example than our friend Judy who is today enjoying a crown of life and who endured a lot. There's a word found frequently on old pottery that archaeologists discover in the Middle East. It's stamped into the clay somehow. The word is approved. It's approved. It's much like our good housekeeping seal. If the pottery didn't crack as it was baked, it was then approved. And that's what God wants for you. And I feel like we are in an oven right now in this room. So you guys are all pies and you're being baked in this oven like, like me. But you might also be in the oven of trial and pain right now. And it's, I know it's hot and I know that you would like it to be over as soon as possible. But I assure you that it won't always be like this. Persevere, find the joy, don't quit. God is at work making you mature and complete something more than you are right now. There is a crown of life prepared for those who love him and who endure. So I, I want to close in prayer with you. And uh, then we'll sing this song. But I would just say, uh, if you're facing trouble, or when you face trouble, Ask God for the ability to thank Him for it. God, you're at work doing something I don't see and really I don't want, but I know it will be good for me in the long run. So thank you. Would you ask God to give you perseverance to stick with it because it's going to be hard, of course. Would you ask Him to help you develop godly qualities? Make me more than I am. Make me Christ-like. Would you ask God to help you live as a victor, not as a victim? Become better, not bitter. Would you ask God for courage to stick it out, knowing that the crown of life awaits you?
Would you pray with me right now, and then we'll sing this song together. But I'll just give you a minute to think about this, and then we'll pray. Lord, you know best. You are the Lord of all. You are the maker of heaven and earth. If you needed a counselor, you sure wouldn't go and ask us. Uh, you don't need advice from anybody and you don't need help from anybody. And so we, we trust you that you know what's best for each one of us. Forgive us for uh, trying to take control of things and trying to maneuver things and trying to worm our way out of things, trying to cast blame on others or for some, uh, some reason for why this is happening. Help us to see your hand at work. Lord, we want to be more Christ-like. And we yield ourselves to you saying, whatever you have to do in us to make us more Christ-like, that's our desire too. We know that's a dangerous prayer because we know that we just give you permission as if you needed it anyway. Help our lives to reflect your love and your perseverance and your qualities so that we can be effective in reaching other people for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.